So tonight we're, we're moving on, actually for, uh, continuing the theme of volcanoes. And what I want to talk about uh, is how the volcanoes uh, relate to uh, what I've called here treasures from the deep earth for the, uh, the mineral deposits that are uh, formed by the processes linked to, to volcanoes we see on the surface. We're used to the destructive power of volcanoes, but there's incredible energy in a, in a volcano. And uh, we know from... Uh, this is a, a map of the uh, Earth's seismic activity around the planet. Uh, and we know that the Earth is... Uh, comprises a series of, of tectonic plates. The Earth is a dynamic system. And places where these tectonic plates are moving around, we, we can uh, map uh, seismicity. So you, on this uh, diagram here, you can see uh, areas where we have the most uh, earthquakes, the, the periodicity of the earthquakes being the, the shortest. And you can see uh, lines of these around the globe. And these correspond to these... Uh, tectonic plates. Uh, and these are testament to the, the dynamic nature of the Earth. We know the Earth is, uh, is zoned from a, a core to a mantle to a, a crust. And we have an interplay between those uh, 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 parts of the Earth, the planetary system. And uh, part of that is manifested in the uh, volcanoes we see at the Earth's surface. Uh, so the Earth's tectonic plates are a, uh, a very dynamic, and we see places here. This diagram is showing you there are parts of the Earth's surface where the plates are moving apart, like the mid-Atlantic Ridge, and there are parts of the uh, Earth where the tectonic plates are, getting, uh, are moving towards one another, and the western side of the uh, Americas is, is one of those zones. And so there are parts of the Earth where they're getting stretched apart, parts that are coming together and being compressed. And in those, we're going to see tonight that uh, the, the volcanoes are linked to those, but we're also going to see that we can link uh, these, uh, these um, ore deposits, the mineral deposits that provide us with the economic uh, uh, treasures from the Earth that feed our modern, uh, modern economy. So this is uh, just to get you in the mood. It's uh, an erupting volcano in Ecuador. And you can see the, uh, what we're getting out of the top of these are the uh, extrusive uh, products of the, of the, from the magma that lies below. And you can see they're initially molten, they're flowing, but there's also a lot of um, what we call pyroclastic rocks, which are the fragments of the of the consolidated and cooled magma. But you can see there's an awful lot of gas coming off these too. And those gases are uh, very mixed in composition. There's often a lot of water in there. There's a lot of uh, carbon dioxide often. Uh, but there are other uh, gases like uh, sulfur dioxide and hydrogen chloride. And they're testament to the fact that although there are volcanoes that are producing uh, effectively a volcanic rock, they're also... Uh, coming from magmas that contain dissolved gases and dissolved volatiles. And as a result, there's, an, there's a very complicated chemistry linked between the, the evolution to form a silicate melt and a, and a, and a volcanic eruption, and, and then the, the dissolved volatile elements in there. And what I'm going to hopefully show you tonight is how they uh, are responsible for moving some of the metals that we use around and concentrating them, 
but also we're going to talk about some of the more precious minerals that we that we use in uh, in our daily lives and uh, how they might be linked to to volcanoes okay so the, this is just here showing you uh, these are, this is the solfatara site in in Italy where this is a, a volcano that erupts it's very close to uh, Vesuvius um, and it has erupted in, in, in human time scale. This is a, a cold era. But what we're getting here are the gases that are coming off the magma chamber. So although there's no eruption, there's a lot of volatiles coming off. There's a lot of carbon dioxide. There's a lot of sulfur dioxide. You can see the uh, yellow sulfur being precipitated here. And uh, a, a lot of water as the steam coming off there. So this is testament to the, the magma chamber losing uh, some of that dissolved uh, gases. And you can see metals moving around. So that's giving you a flavour of, of, of part of the rest of my talk uh, later on. Uh, this is actually an, another part of uh, that links to, to volcanism. We get hot spring development. So this is actually water that's not coming directly from the, the magma chamber that sits underneath here that feeds the volcano. But it's, it's, it's the result of surface water that is finding its way down into the crust and getting heated up by the cooling uh, magma, the crystallising magma that still remains very hot. And what's happening is that that surface water, meteoric water, is, is, is finding its way down to get heated and coming back up as uh, in a form of hot springs. But it's also tapping some of the gases that are coming from the magma. And so we have a mixed system. And it, you can see it's moving minerals around because we get precipitation. In this case, there's a lot of silica. But we also get some other minerals forming here. And we get some metals, as I'll talk about a bit later on. OK, so let's have a look. Uh, uh, Steve uh, may have covered this in a previous talk, but I just want to, to, to sort of uh, uh, revisit this that there are key tectonic settings. So I gave you the plate tectonic story, and we talked about the volcanoes. Now I want to try and link the two together, and we'll talk about some different geological environments where we have volcanoes and where we can directly link them to the formation of the, the mineral deposits that, that we, uh, we mine for our everyday needs. So you can see here, this is a, a, a very simplified uh, cross-section through... Uh, it's a piece of crust. It could be across the Pacific, really, because what we have in the centre there, in the blue main blue area, we have what we call a mid-ocean ridge. And you can see the two arrows, and they're pointing to the part of the crust where we're making new ocean crust, what we call a mid-ocean ridge. And then on the either flank of it, we've got places where we're getting the process of subduction. You may have heard about this, where we have to lose, because the Earth is not changing uh, its, its volume. That was a theory uh, a long time ago that the Earth may be an expanding Earth. But the Earth is conserved in its, its total uh, size. And so in order to accommodate mid-ocean ridge spreading, we have to have the uh, old form crust returning back into the mantle to be recycled. Otherwise, we wouldn't, wouldn't have a, 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 a consistent planet. So we, we have places where... So at the mid-ocean ridges, you can see there's a sort of a red indication there. that There's some new crust forming. 
And then at the margins, we are losing crust. But you can see in, in the case of the, these margins, we have these continental arc volcanoes, or we can have what we call island arcs on the left-hand side, so where we get ocean crust under ocean crust. And, and so these are the sort of factories where uh, volcanoes are created. And then there's one in the middle there, which is called the mant mantle plume. And so there are some very deep mantle processes that we don't entirely understand that give rise to um, convected mantles, so deeply sourced parts of the, uh, the deeper earth that, that are rising up to form uh, what we call hot spots, and we can get volcanoes related to those, those hot spots. Okay, so they're, they're, they're the, the scenarios that we're going to, to look at, and I'm going to take you through those different scenarios, look at those volcanoes, and then look at the ore deposits that relate to those, those volcanoes. So I'm going to give you a little bit of a, uh, a talk about the, the actual ore deposits themselves. So the first thing we're going to do, we're going to go and have a look on the ocean floor. We're going to go and have a look at the places we create new crust on the ocean floor. And we create new crust in the form of uh, extrusive volcanic rocks. And related to those, we can form these giant uh, sulphide deposits. And I'm going to talk to you uh, about how they form. But just to give you a, uh, a little taster, back in the geological record, we can see evidence of very old uh, deposits of this type. And this is one that I've worked on in the, in the Urals of Russia. And it's a giant resource of copper, uh, zinc, and gold being mined in a very large open pit. And it's currently producing about uh, over a million and a half tonnes of ore per year. So it's a big repository of copper and, and, and zinc. And it actually formed uh, on, on the ocean floor. And we'll talk about that setting uh, in a minute. I'm then going to lead you on to talk about uh, a set of deposits called uh, porphyry copper deposits. And these are directly linked to volcanoes that form at some of the destructive margins. I talked about those places where we have subduction and where we have uh, arc volcanoes. Then we um, have... The same uh, environment, we form these porphyry copper deposits. And I'm going to show you how those two are linked. Uh, this is actually the Chuquicamata porphyry copper deposits, one of the world's largest in Chile. And it's got more than 2 billion tonnes of ore being mined. And it's producing around about 350,000 tonnes of copper metal each year, in a, again, in a very large open pit. And copper is a metal that's essential to uh, modern, the modern, modern life. And it's, the growth in demand is enormous, given the, um, the development of, of countries like China, India, and, and so on. So increasingly, uh, we need to find these types of deposits. And the work that we do, uh, uh, understanding uh, volcanoes, tells us that they're the kind of places we should be looking for uh, new deposits like this one here. Uh, then I'm going to move on uh, really to something quite, quite different, and that is to talk about uh, uh, diamond deposits. And they are linked to a, a type of uh, volcano, which is very unusual, a unique type of uh, volcano. It's a kimberlite uh, volcano. And we're going to uh, look, look at that. And, um, and then lastly, I'm going to give you a little insight into some types of volcanoes that on Earth, we only know 
from the very, very deep time. So these are uh, what we call kamatiites. So they're a, a type of lava that is uh, very, very high in magnesium. It's a very primitive lava. And it, it, it erupted at very, very high temperatures. And we, we can't get that kind of magma to the surface of the Earth today. It only w was able to form back in the Precambrian. And uh, we get some very unusual deposits uh, related to that. But I'm going to talk to you a little bit about these. Why are they so interesting? Because there are other parts of the, of the solar system where these types of volcanoes are still probably erupting. Okay, so let's have a, uh, a first of all, before we move on to uh, talk about the, the, the volcanoes and the different settings, I want to talk a little bit about water. Now, water is really an important part of this story. It's really important for those of us who study uh, mineral deposits because water, when it's heated up, is probably the best solvent we have on the planet for moving things around. So we can move just about anything in salty water dissolved if the, if the temperature is, is high. Um, and we've got different parts of the... Uh, if we look at the crust and the, uh, and the mantle, we find water in different uh, environments. So we've got at the bottom there, I've got magmatic water. So this is the kind of water that is associated with those uh, intrusive magmas that we get uh, intruding into the crust. And we'll talk a bit about those because they're the kinds of uh, the water, the, the volatiles, that come off uh, into, into volcanoes. Then we've got water, obviously, that can come from metamorphosing a rock. When, it, when you bury a wet sediment, like a, a clay or a sandy sediment, it's got lots of trapped water, which then gets uh, trapped uh, in the minerals that, as they form. Uh, but that can also be later released. And then we've got uh, meteoric water. I talked about water coming from the surface. We've got seawater. And then we've got the kind of water that's in aquifers. We call that conate water that might be stuck in, in sandstone uh, reservoirs or, or, or in the deep earth. So just bear in mind that water is actually the thing that drives our planet. It drives life. And I hope you'll uh, go away from tonight to, um, to, to understand that water is actually driving so many of the geological process, processes that we have uh, on the planet. Okay, so the first uh, area that I want to talk about is that uh, seafloor uh, where we are creating new crust, the, uh, the spreading zones that we have on the ocean floor. And the thing that scientists noticed in the 1970s is that they, uh, when, they were when they went down there with a submarine, they found that where we had these volcanoes, submarine volcanoes on the ocean floor, we also got high-temperature vents. And this is where very hot water was being circulated and venting out onto the seafloor. And it was quickly noticed that they were associated with the precipitation of metal sulphide minerals. And that's because these dissolved waters, which were heated, they're very salty, were able to scavenge metals and circulate them around and bring them out, uh, out onto the seafloor and form these large metal deposits. And they are directly linked to uh, submarine volcanoes. But for most part, we don't see those volcanoes. Uh, we do know that they're there because there are parts of the, uh, parts of the Earth where these mid-ocean ridge spreading zones are, can be seen on land. And Iceland's a fantastic place to go 
as a geologist, it's like a geologist's dream, because the mid-ocean Atlantic ridge goes all the way through Iceland. And so, as you know, Iceland's very, very volcanic. Uh, the volcanoes often disrupt holiday flights to, uh, to, to parts of southern Europe. But um, they are a response to the fact that the Atlantic is opening, we're creating new crust. And the, uh, the red triangles there are the active volcanoes on, on Iceland. But you can, as you can see, they go out off under the ocean, pretty to the north and the south. And that's really where I want to take us. So you can see on, on the surface, on the right hand, that photograph, that is the Rift Valley. So that is a place that is actually getting apart a couple of centimetres every year. Iceland's getting bigger. Uh, and we get volcanism and we get uh, lots of faulting. But what I want to do is take us down onto the ocean floor. And this is what is happening. So it was Fred Vine back in the 1960s who was able to show that in this mid-ocean ridge spreading, uh, we were getting new crust forming. Nobody believed at the time. The paper got rejected twice before it was uh, then accepted. But there what we've, we've got, we're pulling the crust apart. We're creating new, uh, uh, new crust. And we, we know that's the case because we can pick it up. They did magnetic geophysics and they're able to show these stripes in the magnetism of the rocks that showed that the, 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 uh, the, the rocks were growing apart, the, the continents were spreading, and uh, we were creating, creating new crust in the middle. And if we look uh, down there, there are lots of submarine volcanoes. And volcanoes can erupt under the ocean floor and you wouldn't see anything. I mean, this is like a one and a half kilometres down off Iceland. And we get these basalt lavas erupting into cold seawater. But this is so hot and so fluid that they extrude like toothpaste onto the ocean floor. And we get something called pillow lavas. You've probably heard of pillow lavas. Uh, and it's where the lava is erupting onto the seafloor and getting quenched. But as you can imagine, there's a lot of heat coming out onto the ocean floor. And actually, the magma chambers feeding these are not very far below the, the surface. So uh, what is happening there is we're pulling that apart. We're getting volcanic eruption. But because we're stretching the crust, it allows cold seawater to come down into the higher temperature where the magma chamber is. And that water gets heated. And as a result, it's hot, salty water. It's very good at dissolving metals and minerals from the volcanic rocks. And it, brings, it, it dissolves those metals and it, it will bring those back up to the surface because hot liquid is less dense, it's more buoyant, it will come up onto the sea floor, it comes up through the same fractures system that, uh, we, uh, that, that was being developed by this uh, stretching, and uh, we, we develop um, uh, a phenomenon called uh, black smokers. And this is where that, that really heated fluid is coming back out onto the ocean floor. It's got lots of dissolved uh, metals in there. And as soon as it hits the cold seawater, those metals come out of uh, solution and they crystallise. And that black smoke is actually very, very fine-grained uh, sulphide minerals. So it contains copper, contains zinc, contains gold. And so this is happening all the way along those ocean ridges in a, in a predictably repeatable uh, set of deposits forming all the way along the volcanic chain. You saw that map with the red 
spots along the, um, uh, along the mid-ocean ridges, and that's where hydrothermal activity has been, has been detected. So I just want to show you a little bit more of a, uh, a video. So this is going to be uh, a little bit of a, maybe a minute, minute and a half. Uh, and so this is a, a submarine. It's coming down through the, the black uh, smoker smoke cloud towards one of these uh, chimneys. And these chimneys are composed of the minerals that are forming as that uh, heated seawater with all the dissolved metals is, is hitting the cold water. And as we get in closer, perhaps you can see that it's quite white, the chimney's quite white. And that's because the chimney's covered completely in um, uh, bacterial mats. So there's a whole series of uh, bacteria that are using the hydrogen sulfide gas from the, uh, the vent uh, for, their, for their life cycle. So this is actually uh, a food basis of a food chain, a chemosynthetic food chain. So you can see, this is down on the deep ocean. We've got crabs living down there. We've got a whole range of other crustaceans. We've got some mollusks, and we've got some, uh, some worms. We've got some annelid worms. Uh, we're going to zoom in and see in that white area there, there's a whole bunch of, you, you can see some uh, sort of tubular structures, things waving around in the warm water that's shimmering. And, yeah, the pink thing on the top right there, that's actually one of these alvanelid worms. And these guys have got bacteria living on them that are feeding off the hydrogen sulfide. And so it's a place of mineral formation, but also of, of a place of abundant life in the absence of, of sunlight. So really interesting environment. And what we have is these chimneys forming and they, they slowly build up from the seafloor and we have uh, zoned minerals forming there. Now, scientists found these and thought, well, we ought to have a look and find out what they're like underneath. And so there's been a whole series of programs. Some of you may have seen these uh, on, on television and so on. Uh, deep uh, drilling going on on the ocean floor. Uh, these deposits are forming down more than a kilometre down on the seafloor, so you need to have a, a, a pretty um, robust ship to do this. Uh, so back in the 1990s, the, um, the mid-Atlantic uh, site called TAG was drilled where they discovered some of these chimneys. And what they found were, this is just a cartoon diagram done by Mark Hannington, you can see the black smoker chimneys shown at the top of that edifice. But what they found when they drilled it is that there were masses of sulfides forming underneath it. And these are the, uh, the massive sulfides linked to the, the volcanic rocks and the hydrothermal activity that are forming uh, close to those uh, seafloor uh, volcanoes. And actually, in parts of the ocean, people are now considering uh, mining those because some of them are quite large. Some of them are of the range of uh, the economic deposits we find on land. And uh, where they're close to, to land, so in Papua New Guinea, there's a site that a company called Nautilus Minerals are, are looking to exploit uh, using the, the kind of uh, equipment you see on the right there. And obviously, these are forming on the, the surface of the ocean floor uh, and are potentially easier to extract than something found in the, in the deep earth. 
But we already are mining these things because I showed you the first picture of the big ore deposit, the big sulphide deposit in the Urals. I'm going to show you some, the geology of a small one of these that I've worked on in the Urals. Uh, so there's a geological map and a geological section. And that big red lens is the massive sulphide lens. And it formed right at the contact between seawater and the volcanic flows. We know that because this is an amazingly preserved site, 420 million years old. But what we did when we looked in detail, and this is a, a kind of a reconstruction of that sulphide mound, we found all the evidence that people find on the modern sea floor. So we found evidence of those vent chimneys. We found hydrothermal crusts on the top. But more importantly, we found evidence of these unusual organisms that are living close to the vent sites. So we know that this is an absolute analogue to what's happening back, uh, what's happening today on the seafloor. And so this was happening 420 million years ago. So we know exactly this process of formation of deposits in spreading zones on the ocean floor has been happening since then. So that relationship between volcanoes and, and all deposits is, is very, very strong. Okay, so I want to take you away now. We've done the deep ocean. We've done where new crust is forming. Let's go to the places where we are destroying crust. So those subduction zones, the edges of the ocean, where we are pushing one tectonic plate underneath another. So what I'm showing you there are the subduction zones. And uh, with the red spots in this diagram are where we find giant deposits, porphyry copper deposits. And you can see there's a... a an uncanny uh, link between the areas where we're getting those subduction, uh, subduction occurring and uh, the formation of these giant uh, copper deposits. And in fact, what we find when we get in closer is there's a very strong link between the porphyry copper deposits and volcanoes. This is a geological cartoon uh, produced by one of my colleagues at the museum, um, and it's just showing you, and I'll just... I don't want you to look at the detail, but you can see the green slab coming down here. That's the oceanic crust being pushed down or dropping down underneath the, uh, uh, the, the continental margin. And as that goes down deeper, it gets heated up. And what we start to do is we drive the water off the subducting slab, what we call the subducting slab. So the lower slab is full of water because it's been on the ocean floor. And that water is getting up into the, uh, that little wedge of green, which is what we call the mantle wedge, and it creates melts. Because water, if you inject water into that situation, water lowers the melting point of a magma. And so what you do is you generate a, a melt. And by its nature, it's very fluid, it's less dense, it wants to rise up through the crust. And we get it rising up, and you can see the cartoon, it goes up, to, to, from the blue to form the yellow, because it starts life as, as a, a primitive, like basaltic-type crust, but as it goes up, it evolves and becomes a more sticky, more silica-rich crust, uh, a, a, a silica-rich melt. And then it gets up into these crustal chambers a few kilometres below the surface, and that's when it starts to generate the ability to feed up to volcanoes. So we are linking the volcanic arc directly to this process of subduction. And actually, when we look at the, the copper deposits, the porphyry copper deposits, we find really clear evidence, and this is a, a, a 
geological cross-section at the bottom there from a very large porphyry copper deposit in, um, in the US that the geological reconstruction, which is shown at the top, would have a, a, a large uh, stratovolcano sitting right on the top. We know that because we can see all the volcanic rocks that are, uh, have been laid down uh, around the, uh, where the porphyry deposit is forming. And actually the interpretation is these are rather like volcanoes that we, we see in that part of the world happening today. So there's Galeras, which is in Colombia. It's a very, uh, very, very dangerous volcano, very gassy volcano. Uh, and that's the Sufia Hills uh, volcano in Montserrat, which Steve Sparks has worked on very extensively. Again, a very dangerous volcano that is very gassy and is erupting. And these are the types of volcanoes that we would expect to be sitting on top of the um, deposit forming there in, in, in the US. And all the way down that arc on the western coast of the Americas, we find giant uh, porphyry copper deposits. So this is the Los Bronces porphyry district in, uh, in Chile. You can see these very large open pits. And we're right in the high Andes. Uh, and so these are very high-level magmatic intrusions that are linked to volcanoes that would have sat on the top. The volcanoes are now eroded away, but these deposits are only in the order of up to 10 million years old, so they're, they're very recent by, geological, uh, by a geological perspective. And in some places, the volcanic tops to these are, are preserved. So what's happening on, uh, uh, underneath that volcano? Well, I did say to you that these are very gassy volcanoes, so there's a lot of gas, a lot of water in the, the silicate melt. And a lot of that gets ponded underneath, and it's able then to extract metals from the silicate melt. So a bit like we're using water on the ocean floor to strip metals from the volcanic rocks. In this case, the water is able to take in, because it's quite salty, it's able to take in metals. And in this case, the copper gets taken into the into that uh, the aqueous part, so that's the water that is coming off the silicate magma. And as long as it doesn't all get lost up the volcano, uh, some of that can get trapped to form these copper deposits. And we've got good evidence that that's happening, because in some of these volcanoes that are gassing, we can detect large amounts of copper coming off in the vapour. And in fact, we find someone like Vesuvius... And if any of you have ever gone to the, gone look at the Vesuvius collection in, in, in the museum in Naples, there's a heck of a lot of copper minerals in the volcanic rocks coming off the, the volcano in uh, Vesuvius. And so if, if that, we're, we're not losing all the copper, we can form these uh, copper deposits. So this is in the Las Bronces district. There's a little quartz vein with some copper in. And this is actually uh, some drill core from underneath one of these deposits. You can see all that sort of golden-coloured mineral there is a copper mineral called chalcopyrite, the copper iron sulphide. And this is a, a really rich deposit. It's about 212 metres thick, uh, running about 7% copper. Really very rich ore, very, very high grades. And this is actually forming in the intrusive rocks right underneath that volcano. And we've got really good evidence that these volcanoes are e erupting uh, at the same time as we are uh, forming deposits. 
because we've got good evidence here of lots of oxidized uh, sulfur, sulfur dioxide gas, probably, that is, 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 being, is coming off the, the, the magma. Because the oxidized sulfur here is forming, uh, it is actually a purple mineral called anhydrite, so it's a calcium sulfate, and it forms as the, uh, the oxidized sulfur gases are reacting with the, those wall rocks. So, the, and you can see the rock is very, very brecciated. This whole thing's a very dynamic system, so the magma chamber is probably losing volatiles, it's erupting, and we're forming deposits. And there's an interplay between, almost like a cyclical uh, interplay between uh, those, those types of uh, processes. And so here we have in the, um, evidence that we had magma in a melt form coexisting with liquid water. This is like a big vug in a granite. It's called a myrolytic cavity, and it forms when we get almost like big bubbles of vapour or water inside a silicate melt. It's an admissible situation where you've got the, hydro the, the water-dominated fluid separating from the silica-dominated fluid, i.e. The, the melt. And when that happens, uh, you, you get some very interesting textures that are picked up in the, in, in the record. And this is showing us that this uh, intrusion is beginning to crystallise and it's beginning to lose its uh, vapour and, and, and water that's stored within it. And it's priming, it's priming that uh, intrusive rock to be able to form uh, a mineral deposit. And how do we know that there's lots of water and lots of salt? Well, this is actually a, a photomicrograph of a, a fluid inclusion, and it's coming from a quartz crystal in one of those mineralized veins. And so what that's showing you is there's a bubble, which is a vapor bubble, and then we've got a cube of halite, a little iron chloride, and then we've got water around it. And that points to the fact this is very, very salty water that is being trapped in this quartz that has grown at the time when the, when the granite is beginning to crystallise and form an immiscible water fluid. Uh, we've also got good evidence that when these deposits are beginning to are forming, it coincides with a, a phenomenon sometimes called magma mingling, where the magma chamber that's forming the volcano is getting a new injection of, uh, of more primitive magma in at the bottom. And it's the kind of thing that would trigger an eruption, this kind of event. So there's almost showing you this cycle of the volcanic activity, the hydrothermal activity that is forming uh, the, the ore deposit. And bringing in these different magma uh, sources actually supercharges the whole system with regard to sulphur. And we know we want sulphur because sulphur helps us to form those sulphide minerals that collect all the copper and put it into one place to make it economic to mine. So this is just bringing it all together. Uh, this is like a cartoon cross-section through a, uh, a volcanic edifice. So we have the intrusive rock, shown as these sort of pink fingers at the bottom, that link into a volcano. And then just above there, we form these very big copper deposits where we are losing the uh, fluid from the, uh, the, in the intrusive melt. And that's just to put the thing on the top. Okay, so that's just sort of summarising things where we have 
magma's coming up, they kind of stall at the base of the crust, they then evolve, and then we get periodic volcanic activity, but we also get uh, ore deposits forming as part of that cycle. So there's this, this strong link between the dynamic magmatic processes, the eruptive processes, and the hydrothermal ore forming processes. So what we see is uh, a porphyry intrusion linked to a strata volcano. We would then uh, get a, a cyclical eruption. We'd start to move some of the, the water vapor and the other uh, fluids, which would include the gases and things like chlorine, so in the, in the, in the um, dissolved the sodium chloride salt solution. Uh, those things can boil and they can, they can form other types of deposits. And then what we do is we form the, the porphyry deposit, sort of sitting at the bottom of that volcano. But then we also bring in the meteoric water. I talked to you about the hot springs that form at the edge, because just like we get in the uh, seafloor, we, we get water permeating, permeating down, it gets heated up, it can then bring minerals back up to the surface. So it's quite a complex uh, scenario there. Uh, and some of these hot springs are, are pretty interesting. Uh, they're very useful for geothermal power. So this is Wairaki Power Station in New Zealand. And very close to it is the Champagne Pool in, in the Rotorua district, where we're getting active mineral precipitation. And even more uh, interesting is when the geothermal power station took away, they have to regularly clean their pipes because of pipe scale. And the pipe scale in the uh, geothermal pipes is very rich in gold, and it contains um, up to 2% gold in the pipe scale. So clear evidence that that circulating hot water is also bringing metals and has the, uh, the ability to uh, form uh, ore deposits. Okay, I'm now going to move to the latter part of the talk. We're going to talk about some very unusual, atypical volcanoes. So I'm going to talk about the volcanoes that are responsible for diamonds. Uh, back in history, uh, diamonds were only known in the alluvial form until the 19th century. So lots, most of our diamonds would come from India. So the, you know, the crown jewels uh, diamonds, a lot of those are coming from, from the uh, subcontinent. And it was only in the sort of 19th century that it was recognised that South Africa had good potential. And so this is from the Orange River, where they've got alluvial diamonds. But it became pretty clear, and if this was discovered by the, the British uh, who, who, who found the Kimberley uh, deposit in, uh, in South uh, Africa, that the diamonds were actually sitting on a rock, a very unusual rock they called Blue Ground. And it turns out, of course, it's Kimberlite, which is a very unusual uh, volcanic rock. And we know it takes... They sent the original sample to the Natural History Museum, we have it, with a diamond sitting on this Kimberlite uh, rock because people were, didn't believe that it was, a, it was a new type of volcanic rock. People thought these are all in sediments. But anyway, this is proof, and uh, this was some recent drilling done in Canada where a diamond was found in a piece of drill core, and you could see it visually. So very, very rare, but we know that they come from this very specific type of volcanic rock. Very busy diagram, but all it remains to, be to, sh to say is that we know that these diamond-bearing diamond kimberlites are only found in places where the crust is really old, it's really cold, and it's really thick. 
And there's a reason for that, and I'm going to come on to that. So we find diamonds in South Africa, West Africa, parts of Russia, parts of South America and, and northern Canada. And they're in these areas we call cratons, which date right back to the Archean. So they're more than 2.7 billion years old. And there is a reason for that. And this is a geophysical image of Africa. And you can see this is what they call seismic tomography. And it's telling us where the crust is very thick and very cold. And that's shown in white. So this is the deepest, thickest, oldest parts crust on the Earth. And there was, you know, back in the 1960s, it was recognised that only that you only got diamonds in kimberlites that had come through these oldest parts of the Earth's crust. So it was an empirical relationship that was noticed in the 1960s. And um, Clifford's rule uh, fitted very nicely to the, the Catval Craton. And, and, and why is that? Well, what we find is that now we can analyse inside the little inclusions that are found in diamonds. And we reveal that diamonds actually can form up to 800 kilometres down in the Earth's mantle. So diamonds as we know, are a form of pure carbon, and they're only stable at very high pressures. So they only form deep in the Earth's mantle, and they're only stable at depths below 150 kilometres. So that means, in order for them to be stable, there has to be conditions where we've got very thick crust and thick cold mantle that will preserve those diamonds at depth. And so this is just a diagram to show you that they, um, more or less uh, the golden part for the, the golden window for finding diamonds is between about 100 and uh, 200 uh, kilometers, and that's telling us that that's where they form and that's where they're stable. And these kimberlite magmas, so these kimberlite volcanoes, are erupting from deeper than that. And the studies of these kimberlites show us. Um, you only need to go and buy a stamp in Lesotho, actually, to find out, get the geology. It's a beautiful stamp. Um, and it shows you that what we have with... Uh, uh, we have a, a definitely a, a volcano, but it takes the form of what we call a diatreme. So it's a, a, a round structure. And inside there, we only have a volcanoclastic... We don't have any flows, because this type of eruption is extremely dynamic... It's full of gas, and actually it breaks up long before it gets to the surface. It's an incredibly erosive process, and it rips up at supersonic speed through the crust from deep, deep down. It's coming from maybe 200 kilometres down. And you imagine the pressure it's under down there, 200 kilometres. And it basically funnels its way all the way through the crust. And actually, by the time it's coming up, it's, it's, it, it doesn't really notice what it's coming through. And it forms these um, uh, round uh, structures that are these uh, the so-called kimberlite pipes. Uh, and this is some work that uh, if Steve Sparks had been giving the talk, he could tell you more about this because it's his paper. But effectively, there's some kind of explosive eruption that's coming up at uh, uh, hundreds of metres a second. So that's pretty, pretty fast. Then the whole thing becomes under pressure and everything falls back in. So it's almost like a, you know, it's a big explosion, a rupture, and then it, you get a fall back into the, uh, into the crater. And then it's like fluidized. So you're getting vapor coming up from the bottom and all the rocks are getting churned around 
and, uh, and um, uh, abraded. Uh, and it must be a, a spectacular volcano when it erupts. Now, the youngest Kimberlite we know is about 100,000 years old. So that's within human memory. So if in Tanzania, there would have been people living there. So I have no idea what they would have thought when one of these erupted. Um, as far as we know, they haven't stopped erupting. They could happen again. Um, but would we get a warning? I don't think so. So very, very un unusual type of eruption. Uh, but we get diamonds associated uh, with them. And that's, that's a kimberlite there with the diamond actually on the, on the matrix. And so uh, people understand more about these, but they, come, they don't only come on their own. They often come in clusters. Uh, and so these uh, vapours are coming up from a very, very deep source and are erupting. And this is the Akati mine in northern Canada. And there's at least four different pipes uh, occurring uh, together here. Um, and it's only been discovered. It's very difficult to explore in this part of Canada. No rocks exposed, but modern geophysical techniques were able to detect these. And, and so here's a catty. There's four of these pipes. They're like carrots, and they've got different fasces. So it's mostly pyroclastic. So that means it's, it's, it's all brecciated, and it's coming up as part of a pyroclastic flow. And uh, we don't have... Uh, Deep down, we've got coherent kimberlite, which is shown in red. So that's really where it's, a, it's still a, a melt, and it, we get a coherent uh, uh, deposit. But in these northern Canadian deposits, we find evidence of a tree, of, of actually um, carbonized tree fragments. So these things were erupting up into forests, and we're getting fallback of, of uh, trees into the, in, into the kimberlite uh, pipe. Okay, so the final uh, couple of minutes of my talk, I'll talk about uh, some volcanoes that we no longer see on the Earth, um, but we might see them elsewhere in planetary systems, which can give us a lot of evidence as to how they formed back here on Earth. So these are things um, that are probably related to mantle plumes. I mentioned those early on. Um, we, don't, we still really don't understand the mantle very well. The kimberlites come from the mantle. Uh, so big discussion as to how do kimberlites form. They're very rich in carbon dioxide. So we think that there are places where you get large um, accumulations of things like carbon dioxide, which actually stimulate the formation of a melt that wants to come all the way up to the surface. Uh, mantle plumes is where we're getting mantle convection. It happens in deep earth. And we form these hot spots. And we get um, volcan volcanic eruptions linked to those hotspots. And if we go back into uh, the Precambrian, and I'm talking here about 2.7 billion years ago, um, we find these Kamatiite lavas. I mentioned them to you. And they're really hot uh, lavas that erupted at the Earth's surface at about 1,600 to 1,700 degrees cent centigrade. There's no way a melt could find its way to the surface at that temperature now. But back in the early Precambrian, these melts were able to come to the surface. And these uh, eruptions were very magnesium-rich. They're quite sulfur-rich. And they're so hot that they have a viscosity close to water. So these are very, very runny lavas. They're very hot lavas, but they're quite dense. And so they channelize. They form like rivers on the uh, planet's surface. And because of that, they start to interact with the rock that they flow over. And as a result, they uh, 
They, they quench very quickly. We get these very unusual textures, which is called spinifex texture, which is testament to a really hot melt quenching very quickly. But the other thing that we get, and we know this experimentally, is we get uh, sulfide immiscibility. So the sulfide in the melt wants to come out of the melt and form its own liquid. And so we get something like oil separating from water, and we get those little sulfide blebs separating from the silicate, and they, they capture all the metals that are in the melt. And as a result of that, we form uh, a sulfide, a nickel and copper sulfide deposits. And we know those from the Archean uh, in Western Australia, around the, those of you who have ever been to Kalgoorlie, Kambala district, some very big nickel deposits there that are formed as a result of these types of lava. But they don't exist at all on the Earth's surface today. But the thing we do know is there are parts of the solar system where they probably are erupting. So this is Io. It's one of the uh, moons of Jupiter. And this is a thermal image of the surface of Io. And the kind of temperatures and the spectroscopy that we can do on these, on these areas using uh, things like the Hubble telescope tell us that these are erupting magnesium-rich lavas, very, very high temperatures, and these are likely to be uh, Kamatiite lavas. So they, they, they're forming in a very primitive planetary body elsewhere in the solar system. So it's really interesting to study this because this might be one of the few places where we can start to unravel what happened on early Earth. And in a similar vein, um, another one of Jupiter's moons has got evidence uh, for... Uh, other volcanic activity. We've got a, um, the, the surface of Europa is an ice sheet that's crazed like this into a, 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 a sort of fractured surface. And that's testament to probably there being a, a wet ocean, a, a, a liquid ocean underneath that ice. We know because it's so close to Jupiter, it's going to be an active planet, it's going to have uh, a, a mantle, and it's likely to have volcanoes. And uh, that's the sort of thing that we, we can see that texture that we saw on the surface in uh, Arctic ice sheets like this one here. So we've interpreted that to mean there's probably a liquid, uh, a, a liquid ocean underneath the surface of Io. And in, uh, uh, Europa, sorry. Uh, and in which case, the likelihood is that there are volcanoes, under submarine volcanoes. And NASA have speculated that there might be hydrothermal venting here. So this is their cartoon. They've already designed a probe that could go to Europa to go down and have a look for volcanoes and uh, mineral deposits. But why are they really interested? Well, because we saw in the modern ocean, we see unusual life forms developed around those hydrothermal vents. So the speculation is this is one of the sites that, that people want to go and study. Is this where life might have begun? And there are some scientists who... Who, who think that these hydrothermal vents associated with volcanoes are where life began on Earth. Okay, and I'm just going to end. This is my last slide, and I just really want to end with... Uh, there are other planets that have volcanoes that are interesting to study. Uh, Venus has active volcanoes. I haven't got time to talk about that and, and um, what's going on on Mercury. But obviously Mars is under the spotlight because we've got a few missions going there and one there at the moment. And we know Mars has had some huge uh, supervolcanoes. 
But what seems to have happened in, in, in Mars is it, it, it had a lot of volcanic activity, and then it's kind of stopped. And they've just put a, a seismic experiment on Mars, which suggests it's tectonically a seismic. There's no earthquakes. And that the first slide I showed you was that our planet is very earthquake-rich. And this links to the tectonic activity. It links to the volcanic activity. So dead volcanoes, dead planet, maybe. So Mars is perhaps disappointing from one perspective, but it is a place we can probably go and study what early volcanism looked like on our Earth, because Mars has almost been frozen in time. And what people are hoping is it's kind of frozen in time when it had its... Because uh, it, it did have liquid water on the surface, it had a bigger atmosphere, a, 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 a more dense atmosphere. We might be able to see what the early Earth looked like as tectonics were just beginning to get going. And I guess people are hoping that we'll see evidence of how life might have begun on Mars. Uh, I think it's highly unlikely that there's any life still on Mars, but we might find evidence for that sort of early, early start. Okay, so I just really want to sum up. These are just uh, some points from, from the talk. Uh, but just really to say that these volcanoes are a manifestation of a, a dynamic planet, but they're also incredible factories for producing metals and minerals that are of interest for us to use. I just really also want to point out how important water is for so many of the processes on the Earth. In fact, the entire volume of the ocean gets circulated through the mid-ocean ridges every sort of five to six million years. So you can see the amount of, of activity there. And then a lot of that water gets recycled. And we won't have arc volcanoes if we didn't have water. So water's an intrinsic part of plate tectonics, and it's an intrinsic part of the life on Earth. And I think what we're seeing from Mars is, if we go there, we might be able to understand more about that, that sort of linkage. So I'll leave it there, uh, but I'm more than happy to take any questions. Thank you very much.